The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. From The Square Ball is Michael Normanson. Hello. And of course, here's Phil Hay from The Athletic. Hello. If you are not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of the articles on Leeds United, all Phil's stuff, as well as everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to sign up. Right now, you can get it for a pound a month for six months. Phil, what's there this week? We have a big read on Bielsa's future, which obviously isn't going to be sorted out here and now, but I think... He and the club are probably heading for a bigger decision this summer than they've had in, in any previous summer. Um, and we also have a roundtable discussion featuring yourself and Andy Mitten of United We Stand fanzine fame discussing Sunday's game at Ellen Road. What an absolute must read that is. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I've got no idea it, yeah. what's in there. No, yeah, it'll no. be good. Uh, Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod if you want to uh, have a look at that. Everton. Mm. It's been a bad week, hasn't it? Do you think this has been the worst part of the season? And let's try and be positive, Phil. Come on, impart some words of wisdom on us now the dust has settled a bit. Uh, uh, difficult to do that. It, it was all wrong, wasn't it, at Goodison? And it's right alongside Southampton, I think, for performances. I heard you say, Michael, say on one, one of your podcasts earlier this week that after five minutes, he was punting on Everton to win the game. And I have to say that from minute one, where Anthony Gordon went in behind Bielsa's defence and you had that sliding tackle from Luke Alien that, that stopped what was a, a really, really big chance and stopped Gordon converting it, which he, he probably should have done. The whole place just had that feel about it. Everton, I thought, did what classic English teams tend to do or British teams tend to do, which is to try and play the occasion by fighting for everything, scrapping for everything, making it look like, like it mattered. I don't really want to go down the route of saying that it, it, mattered, it looked like it mattered more to them than it did to Leeds. But I think what Everton realised was that they either engaged Goodison Park because it was nervy there. I, I was outside the ticket office waiting for the, the media uh, room to open um, around about midday and I was listening to the, the Everton fans chatting amongst themselves and they were, they, they were basically asking each other, where, where are we going to get our next win from? You know, I don't fancy this today. <laughs> they were saying, Leeds will be difficult. Leeds will turn up and, and we'll probably play well because they played well at Villa. But I think Everton did realise that either they, they engaged Goodison Park or they risked Goodison Park turning and, and getting on top of them and their performance was very good I think it set set the right tone Leeds were never in it never mm-hmm. in it and and in the second half Everton started to flag a little bit Calvert-Lewin in particular up front a goal I think would have changed it because I don't think it would have taken an awful lot to have made the stadium wonder if Everton were going to fall to bits again but they were never really under enough pressure and to my mind the game was lost by half time I think maybe one of Leeds' problems is that we've only got one way of playing and it also seems to be at one tempo, if you like. Is that a fair criticism in that if we can't impose ourselves on the game and we allow another team to do so, we struggle to get back into them. I mean, like that even goes back to like Crawley in the Cup. I felt though it was more structural on Saturday than anything to do with tempo. There just wasn't a midfield and that early chance for um, Anthony Gordon pretty much stemmed from the freedom Everton had to pick passes from... 10, 20 yards outside the Leeds box with lots of space to do so. And Bielsa said afterwards, I made a mistake by putting Matthias Click in there. It was, the, it was the three at the back system that he so often goes with um, against two up front. And I kind of become more and more interested in whether or not any opposition managers are starting to think that they might play two up front as a means of making sure that Bielsa is forced to play three at the back, which is not the system that, that Leeds played most often under him. It's been the 4-1-4-1. And... The weird thing about the 3-3-1-3 is that if you look at the results, 
broadly, they're not bad. But if you look at the performance indicators, they're better with a, a four-man defence than they are with three at the back. He said himself, you know, that there wasn't, Click is not suited to that job, which I thought was a concern because you had Adam, Adam Forshaw on the bench. And in, with Bielsa saying, I was basically asking Click to do things that are not his strength. He's an attacking player. He likes to get forward. That is what's in his mind. That's his game. In that case, when Forshaw is there, play him and keep it relatively simple, as simple as it can be. Or, you know, to, to put it another way, don't overcomplicate it if you don't have to. I thought on Saturday, Everton did just make it very, very simple for themselves. I thought they, they did the things that were fairly basic and they did them well. And it meant that the better players were able to shine. I mean, you'll remember Richarlison coming to Ellen Road last season and looking like he was trying to get substituted from the first minute. He was really into it on Saturday. And I think part of the reason that they were all into it was because they were getting so much joy out of Bielsa's players. Why has he made that mistake then with Click? I mean, obviously you can't put yourself inside the mind of Marcelo Bielsa, but we can analyse why such mistakes are made, can't we? What, in your opinion, is at the root of that? And to go back to the Southampton game, it was the same story there, wasn't it? That was Click trying to play that deeper role. So why has he, he not learned then? It comes down to various things with him and, and various principles or, or viewpoints that he has one being that he very rarely t- changes a team who play well or, or have a good result and although Leeds were defensively pretty ropey I thought of Villa going forward they were good you know it did work and it did cause um, Villa a problem and the movement of the front four was really decent I think I said on the podcast last week Rafinha was extremely poor on the ball at Villa but actually he was a handful to mark and it he kept dragging Villa out of position Villa were having to devote resources to, to monitoring him and it meant that there was space to play in and obviously Dan James' rotation was good as well and, and it did kind of click and that sort of performance we know over the years you, you tend to say to yourself well they'll probably be unchanged on Saturday and likewise because there were two up front and Lampard did go four four two, you know and, and as I say I don't know if that was deliberate I don't know whether he wanted Leeds to go three at the back but because it was four four two, automatically and without exception, it becomes a three-man defence for Leeds. That's just non, non-negotiable. non That's what, what Bielsa does. And I think we've probably all agreed that I never feel as convinced about Leeds when they're in that system. Whatever the stats say or, or, or anything else, to the naked eye watching them, I always feel as if there isn't the understanding and the cohesion as there is when, when they go 4-1-4-1. But when you have Forshaw and it is such a, a big game, and you get it wrong in the way that you do, people are, are rightly concerned. And, and I think on Saturday and over the weekend, I saw more criticism of Bielsa for that and the kind of tactical approach at Goodison Park than I've, I've seen it any time before, probably. Was that at the root of you writing the article this week, then asking questions about his future? It's been coming that anyway, because we have this situation with Bielsa where he has a, a one-year contract. So every year you reach a point and it is normally around this time of the season where discussions about his contract are in in public. I don't mean at the club because it never happens until the season finishes. He doesn't open himself up to negotiations until the games are all done. But in public, so among the fans and and press and and people like me, it starts to become a, a topic of conversation. And the reason for that is that because even though conversations with him might not take place until May, there is simply no way that a club can sit on their hands and do absolutely no planning and do nothing at all to preempt the possibility that there is going to be a change of head coach. And in the previous summers, after the first season, he thought that Leeds might change um, head coach. He thought he might be gone, but he didn't realise that Leeds actually were dead set on keeping him. And, and understandably so, because the season had been so good. And then in the season after promotion and um, last summer as well, 
there was absolutely no question that he was going to remain as manager. It was more a case of ironing out and smashing out the fine details of a contract, which is massive and really detailed and takes a long time to, to sort, but it was always going to get there. This time round, it seems to me to be a completely different scenario because you have to start taking into consideration the performance levels, sort of issues around it, like injuries, like the, the size of the squad that they're maintaining, the management of the 23s. I, I was saying in the piece I wrote this week, the 23s are very prevalent at Leeds and they're very prominent as well, but not to the extent where they're necessarily playing that much. And if you ask yourself, considering that the squad has quite a large core of experienced players, i.e. players who are nearer the end of their careers than the start of them, and a big core of younger players, and not a huge amount in between, how many of the 23s have actually progressed this season in a way that would make you expect that they will play much more next season? And I think the answer is not that many. So it is going to be a big decision and it is going to be a difficult decision and it's going to depend on on an awful lot of factors. But I did just come away from Everton thinking to myself, I wonder where this is going now, you know, and, and I wonder how people are feeling about it. Do you think those sorts of questions are being asked internally within the club as well? Because, I mean, for example, you can't have watched that game at the weekend and asked the question about the substitutions as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's probably fair to say that a majority of people didn't understand taking Rafinha off and then putting Tyler Roberts on. I think I understood taking Rafinha off because he wasn't playing well and hadn't played well at Villa. Although you kind of feel like the percentage play in that situation is to leave him on the pitch because of what he might do and because of what he's done mm-hmm. pretty consistently in his, his time at Leeds. He is the best player, I think. If you were going to get back into that game at 2-0 down, I think you needed Gilhart up front. Roberts does feel like a hill that Bielsa is ready to die on and is certainly quite happy to fight on and is, is not for not for budging on. I think it's a totally valid debate about why that's happening and, and totally valid debate to say that Roberts' better performances, I think, have come when he started. Um, as an impact sub, there's simply no dispute that the, the better impact has come from Gilhart and when he's come off the bench as opposed to, to Roberts. But it does feel to me like that has been overblown, that the, the focus on Roberts v Gilhart has been overblown because it's become an extension of the frustration about the struggles of the team in general and the fact that the form just isn't there and, and what was great about this side before isn't really so good now. And I suppose another way of putting that is to say the game on Saturday was not lost because Roberts came on at half time. The game was lost because they were hopeless in the first half. But I understand why it is there in the background and why it's been discussed. And to be quite frank, it's not going to go away that it's become something that people have latched onto. It's become a lightning rod and it's going to be it's going to be discussed week after week after week. It feels like in, in a season like this one in particular where nothing's going well or so, nothing goes well for two weeks in a row anyway, you normally have a even the good results then the week after things kind of fade. You just you just want a little bit of hope sometimes. Yeah. And I think Roberts, we we've seen him that many times, you know exactly what you're getting. And it's just not that exciting. And I think something the Gelhart introduction, we saw it was it was after Southampton, in fact, wasn't it? The Wolves game when he came on. And he completely changed the mood from despair one week into hope and I don't know, I guess I guess optimism for the season in in a ten minute spell against mm-hmm. Wolves. And and we've not had that for a while. It's exactly the same reason why I wanted them to move in the January market as well. Just something to refresh it, to renew it, something new to focus on, rather than just being mired in the in the same problems. Well, you might have seen Brendan Aronson playing for um, Salzburg <laughs> last night, as it was, as, as we were recording, against Bayern Munich. Really, really impressive. And again, 
something that makes you think when it comes to the scouting and the idea of who they want to sign, they're, they're not on the wrong lines. You know, he looks like a player that, that would really benefit Leeds. But it didn't happen last month. The club are very confident of getting it done in the summer, but it kind of goes without saying that if, you know, if, if Salzburg were to go through, which I still don't think they will, but if they did and they have a particularly good Champions League run, then he becomes, you know, a, a more valuable commodity. He attracts more interest and, and you wonder where it will go. I don't think it even really needs to be, it really needs to be about excitement with Robert Salt Gilhart. It comes down to impact, doesn't it? And that feeling that Gilhart coming off the bench is far more likely to change something than, than Robert's coming off the bench. And I do feel more and more that Bielsa is pretty isolated with this one. I don't think there are many people who are looking at this and really understanding why it is that he's going for Roberts over Gilhart. But the ultimate answer for that is because he's head coach, it's his call. He has total authority over these things. And in his head, he looks at Roberts and thinks that when it comes to changing the game, that is his best call. What do you think is leading him to that conclusion because there are no stats that back it up essentially if you look at the kind of number of chances Roberts creates the number of goals he scores it's virtually non-existent the the assists and goals are extremely low the number of chances he creates actually if you look at the stats is not particularly disastrous but again when you start to you know you you, you can pick through the numbers um forever but when you start to think to yourself about the matches this season where Roberts has come off the bench and really made a difference and really turned it. I'm I'm struggling really to um to follow on that. But as I say, I'm not totally comfortable with the amount of attention that there is on this because I, 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 I feel sorry for Roberts. Yeah, I, and I feel like there's a much bigger picture here, which is not purely about which of the two centre forward options on the bench is Bielsa going for more than the other. I, I I'm totally in the camp that Gilhart should be playing more. There's no denying that at all. That was part of the, the plot on Saturday, but it was not the story of why it went wrong. It went wrong because the formation wasn't right. The choice of click over Forshaw wasn't right. They were 2-0 down at half time, And when you're 2-0 down in Premier League game, I don't know what the stats are, but I suspect it is highly, highly unlikely against any team that are worth the salt that from that position you get much out of it. Do you think it's a coincidence that Rafinha is in contract talks? He gets taken off at half-time against Everton. Looked absolutely delighted about it when he was sat on the bench as well, didn't he just? Um, And then we see one or two stories emerging in the papers or on the websites or whatever it might be, whatever the 2022 equivalent of that is, of him putting contract talks on hold. It it doesn't seem to be unrelated, let's put it that way. Well, I mean, the contract talks are, are still live, although he hasn't signed one. And as recently as last month, back end of last month, um, and that's, what, two, three weeks ago, there's a lot of confidence at Leeds that he would sign. Um, I think it's quite likely that any deal would have to include a release clause because that tends to be how it is with players of that ilk. But from what I can understand, pretty happy with the wage offer that, that's been made. But he he didn't look happy on Saturday and he won't have been happy on Saturday either. His form since... He was, he was brilliant away at West Ham in the league game. His form since then has been patchy to say the least and I thought he had a particularly bad night at Villa and didn't get into the game at all on Saturday. But then you could question how he was supposed to get into the game on Saturday, given how little good possession Leeds had and, and how little presence they seemed to have in, in midfield. Those two shots from Rodrigo off the bar were terrific hits. But I said in my report, it was like trying to shoehorn two bits of absolute magic into total mediocrity. And I think when you're relying on 20 or 30 yard bangs to, to dig you out of trouble, you, you know that you're in it. Rafinha's deal still has two years to run, doesn't it, after this one? 
Uh, Rafinha signed last summer, um, sorry, summer before last, which was 2020, and it was a four-year deal, so it runs to 2024. So, yeah, yeah, two years. So he's not in a position to particularly force his way out, is he? Or, or for us to accept a bid that is maybe lower than his value. You would think it's in everyone's interest to get this deal agreed so he earns more money in the meantime, and then there's a set amount that he can go for. Whereas at the moment, there's not a release clause, so we can essentially try to hold on for a, a yeah, higher he, fee. He's on a he's on a pretty low wage at Leeds. I've said this previously that he's not uh, he's not highest earner or, or close to it because the deal as it was done when he came from Ren just wasn't particularly expensive all round by by Premier League standards. So it would make sense in the meantime for him to earn more personally. He is under contract so no he, he can't force his way out but I think everybody's realistic about the fact that clubs are going to start bidding for him in, in quite a big way at some stage. Ideally, if he stays beyond the World Cup, you have the potential for his valuation to go up significantly after that. But because it's mid-season this time round, who knows how he's going to be thinking in the summer? Who know who knows what's what's going to happen on that front? Who knows realistically whether Leeds can get through next summer without actually having, as we've spoken about many times, having to sell one of the players who is worth you know a considerable amount of money to help their their own internal recruitment. Is it because we can't? Pick any positives out of Saturday that it feels like the low point of the season, just to circle back to where we started on this. Yeah, probably. And also, I think people will feel the next week looming. You know, Man United, Liverpool, Tottenham. In the piece that that you did with Andy Mitten, I was sort of talking to you at the end of it about, you know, who's this the bigger game for? And and you said yourself that you were kind of underwhelmed by your kind of lack of anticipation for this on Sunday and that you were looking forward to Sunday coming because then you get the edge of the game and the edge of the day and suddenly it drags you drags you back into it but I do think people are at a low ebb at the moment and that was up until this stage one of the reasons that Leeds are where they are in the league and I mean one of the reasons that they're above the bottom three rather than in it is because they've always managed to edge the games against the teams they really had to beat so they won away at Norwich and they won at home to Watford they took the point at, at Newcastle and they beat Burnley at home and took a point over at Tough Moor the last few weeks, they, they've started losing games that they really need to win, which is Newcastle at home, Everton away, games that could have made such a difference to the table. And that does start to rattle nerves. It does. Do you think the deliberate choice to stand still this year from Leeds in the transfer market, because we've had two, well, one completely non-entity of a January window, and then we had Furpo essentially in the summer backed up by James towards the end. But it does feel like we've only ever replaced what we needed to replace in terms of left back and then Helder Costa's gone out. So it's, it's a like for like. We've not gone forward, have we? And you stand still in this business and you go backwards. I don't disagree with that at all. The season, I think, would have looked very different had the injuries not been as horrendous as they have been. And I think those injuries make the squad look considerably worse. And the the numbers of them, I mean, again, on Saturday, Dallas limping off right at the start, Helder limping off right towards the end for what it's worth I mean we'll find out from Bielsa tomorrow but I don't think either of those are serious actually which is a particular I don't mean it's particularly good news for Helder in the sense that he's more important than Dallas but when I saw Helder the replay of it and him limping off you you thought to yourself that kind of got sort of ACL style injury written all over it but it doesn't sound like it's it's been too bad but they are absolutely relentless relentless I mean I had somebody tweet me earlier this week again saying when the injured players come back we'll be fine I mean, it's almost March. Well, I was going to say, when is that going to be? Because yeah, it's, it's not happened and, all season. And the games are, games are ticking on. Ten minutes against Brentford, I think, wasn't it? When we had when yeah. we had Bamford and Phillips on the pitch together, and it was like, right, there we go. Everything's no, going to be all right. That's no, the team. No, that's, not anymore. That's the team. 
but this is this really is one of the things that is going to have to come under discussion as they move towards the end of the season, assuming they're staying up, about what they do in the summer. How do they make sure, and how does everybody concede a little ground to make sure that they have more than they've had this season, that they do mitigate against injuries, and that they're not in a situation where this could be repeated next season? Because you can't go through this too many times without it properly catching up with you. A question's been asked internally, do you know, about Bielsa's method and the intensity of the training. I mean, we can't ascribe all the injuries this season to that, but it's hard to escape the idea that it's going to have contributed in some way to it, the intensity of what they're asked to do, small squad, a sustained number of years. The training load is massive at Leeds and it has not decreased at all this season. You might remember I was writing in the summer about the fact that in pre-season, the physical data had actually increased. You know, it, it, it had gone up, which the club very much saw as a positive and so did Bielsa, positive thing, because they felt that there was even more physically um, that they were able to, to eke out of, of the players. There are people at Leeds who would probably say one of the options in this situation would be to tone it down a little bit in the hope that if you say you forgo, I don't know, 10% of fitness, you have a squad that is 10% more durable. Now, I don't think that's an exact science, but there are things that you can ease off. You can take it easier in training. It just never happens. You know, that absolutely never happens. And without actually having the list of injuries in front of you and, you know, the detail that goes with them, i.e. what the medical staff do to assess them, it does seem fair to think that training must be having some impact on them this season. There'll be some injuries that are totally unavoidable, some injuries. I mean, it seemed to me that Helder, for example, just twisted his knee in the grass. But Dallas has been, when I interviewed Forshaw for the big piece that we did with him, he said in it, Dallas won't mind me telling you that he plays with injuries most weeks. You know, he, he just plays through them because he because he wants to. Um, <laughs> and, he, you know, and, he, and he wants to be in the team. He doesn't you know, want to be sitting on the sidelines with a, pulled muscle or, or whatever else he just wants to push himself through it but again you know to, to go back to what I was saying about the recruitment that is another thing isn't it you know th- these are all the things that they have to figure out are, are the injuries just bad luck or actually are they not doing enough about them or is Bielsa not doing enough about them to ease them off at all and you have to find solutions to these problems that avoid uh, avoid repetition next season because as I say I, I wouldn't fancy a second season of this at all on Stuart Dallas, then is is the machine finally broken, Phil? It sounds like good news that it's not too serious, but uh, it is probably the biggest emblem, if you like, biggest symbol of this season that finally the Cookstown Cafu cracks. Even Dallas uh, does that leave Melier as last man standing? Don't I should say that. Not say no. that should I know? No, no it's, it's going to be. It's got to be hell to pay tomorrow. Unleash the backlash. Yes, he was one uh, positive out of the weekend. Actually, we should say he did make a one incredible save towards the end. I think not, it, not that it meant anything. No, I, I think he's. I think he's had a good season. Melier, there've been mistakes in there, but I think he's been a pretty important last line of defence. Even on Saturday with Dallas, there was like that reluctance. You could tell that as soon as he went down first time he knew that he was going to have to go off I think you could see the penny dropping and him thinking I'm not going to be able to go through this but there was still that part of him that thought well, just, just sorry sorry enough I'll carry on I, just you know I may as well just carry on and, and see see how we see how we go I, I was thinking about him after the game and it did I did start to think when did he actually last miss a game Dallas you know a league game okay there's been cup games and, and everything else when did he last not start a league game? And we always used to bang on about Cleek, you know, game after game after game, right the way up to 92 games back to back until they were promoted and, and everybody got pissed and had a, a day off at, at Derby. And with Dallas, you you have to go back to the, the very same point to find the last game um, that he missed. 
And out of 107 league games, that's 106 that he started. And I mean, that just doesn't really happen in modern football at all. There were eras where players, you know, particularly back to the kind of Reeve era, where players would just play and play and play and play. And, and you know, would also stick around at clubs for a long time, which is why people like Jack Charlton and so on amassed 700 plus appearances. But the other reason for that was because they so rarely missed any games. You know, they just kind of carried on and carried on. And for him to go through that run and, and also to have played as well as he's played in periods of it is a pretty amazing shift. I'm just looking at his record, actually. Even when he was at, at Brentford prior to this, he was there for the most well, three seasons, wasn't it? At Brentford, he only played like 63 games. So he was there for three years. He, you're talking just over 20 games per season. It's not until he's come to Leeds and, he, and probably only since just before the Derby playoff game that he cemented himself in that side. Because even up to that Derby playoff game, I don't think we were that sure exactly what Stuart Dallas was for. And now he just seems indispensable. Yeah, I don't think Bielsa had figured that out either. He wasn't playing, he, he was playing enough, but he wasn't playing regularly. I'm just looking here, it was 10 starts in that season, 26 appearances in total, which kind of cast him as a bit of a fringe member of the squad. Important and needed and, and necessary, but not somebody who Bielsa was hanging his hat on in the way that he was with, with Matthias Click. But it did seem to change in that period towards the end of, of that season and particularly in the playoffs. I mean, Dallas was... I don't think it's unfair to say Dallas was the only player who played well enough in that playoff semi-final to have come out of it and said, I, there wasn't really an awful lot more that I could have contributed to that. It was a good night individually for him while a, a desperate night collectively um, for Leeds. And from there, he's just, it, it's actually gone from Bielsa not being, quite being sure how he fits or, or feeling like other players fit better in the team to Bielsa making sure that Dallas fits somewhere irrespective of which gap it is that's that's popped up. I mean, he hasn't played at centre-back. He hasn't played in goal. I don't think he's played as a striker at any stage. I can't remember him being at, at number nine. But that aside, he's been everywhere. Is he first choice in any position? I felt last season that he was first choice in centre-mid by the end of the season. I did think... I mean, it, does, it can't be a coincidence that that was our best run of form either. Well, perhaps... But I, I did feel, thinking of that Manchester City game, but not just that, you know, other games round about. I, I picked Dallas out as as my player of the season um, a month or so before it finished. And, and then he won a raft of awards as well, quite rightly, I thought. And, and yeah, I think if you'd had your full midfield available and everybody to pick from, I think he'd have, he'd have gone in there. Less so right back because you've got Luke Ayling, um, although, you know, Luke Ayling's form's not been, not been brilliant recently. Less so... At, left back because left back has there were periods where Dallas was the choice but left back forever felt like that position where Leeds just hadn't signed anybody you know or or who they had signed it wasn't quite happening for like Barry Douglas who should have been you know who should have been a shining light in the championship and just never never quite got going and that was why left back was such an important position to to look at um, last summer when they they went for Thurple but there was Alioski there as well and Alioski dropped him from time to time I always felt that Dallas was better defensively, but that when it came to playing out wide, Dalioski was a bit more bit more potent going forward. So to answer your question, I think there has been that period where he has been first choice, but I still always kind of chuckle to think back to the fact that when he came from Brentford, he was an out-and-out right winger. That's what he was. You know, the, the, Uwe Rosler, who signed him, did say to me once, I thought he could play as an eight. You know, I did think there might be that in him, but I can't pretend that we were signing him as an eight. He was coming in to play on the right-hand side. And I think looking back, nobody actually had any idea what it was that they were getting for a million quid. I mean, he, like quite a few in this squad, has been a, a massive bargain. 
was going to say 1.3 million is the reported fee, isn't it, for uh, for a player who's contributed so much to to a Premier League football club that that now deals in you know it's a minimum 15, 20 million pounds for a player, isn't it? It's it's good value. Another another one who at various points people would have said, well, I could maybe lose him and it wouldn't wouldn't matter too much. And another one who at various points people weren't quite sure if. He had Premier League football in him, you know. When you when you jump up, how's it going to go? Is he is he going to cope? And so many of them, I you know, I get that this season has not been good, but that doesn't change the fact that so many of them coped extremely well last season. And I mean, he he comes from very sort of modest start with Crusaders over in Northern Ireland. And you know, I remember his agent saying to me years ago, he was just this skinny kid who was sort of white as a sheet, but they saw something in him that they really liked. Got him over to Brentford and. You know, he, he was he was in and out at Brentford. He never quite settled into the team in a way where you were expecting him to play forty six games a season. But at Leeds, he has become you know every single week it's it's Dallas, and I think he will miss the Manchester United game. I don't think he'll play this weekend, so that will be one hundred and six out of one hundred and eight. He'll be out putting the cones out, won't he? He'll insist on doing absolutely absolutely something. But um, I mean, what a record for him! And and I like how his story is. He's emerged late in his career, hasn't he? To be to be such a quality player, he's, he's aged like a fine wine, if you like. He's thirty one in April. Ultra professional as well, which has been true of the the entire squad really for the the Bielsa era. They have looked after themselves well, and they have gone with it and they've coped with up until this point with really strenuous training and, and you know the high intensity of games I go back to that piece we did a couple of weeks ago where it was our, our analytics guys were looking at you know who plays the most intense football in the division and the answer was Leeds you know they, they still do and they still cover massive massive distances the problem is it's not translating into into results and, and that is football really isn't it when you do these things and they work, it looks like genius. When you do these things and they don't, people start to question it and people start to look for change. I think I said at the start of last season, possibly, I can see Dallas being one of those who sticks around into his mid-30s and just, even if maybe he's not in the first team anymore, he's someone you can have on the bench and actually will still end up playing most weeks. A bit like a bit like Milner has through his career, when even though he's he's kind of not an automatic choice anymore, he just gets put in there and, he, and he'll probably rack up 20 or 30 appearances a season still into his you know into his mid-30s well it's funny that I've just written down the words James Milner on my notepad in front of me to make this exact point yeah you get, like he's the uh, Stuart Dallas is the best argument for not re-signing James Milner isn't he and there's no reason there's no reason not to have him in the squad is that you can imagine he will be ultra professional whether or not he's starting games he's on the bench he's happy to kind of just play his part whatever that may be and he's and he's very close to looking at his number of appearances now he's very close to some genuine kind of club legends in there as well like he, if he manages to stay another season he's going to probably overtake like Lucas and Nigel Martin and Gary McAllister he's going to he's going to be getting into that sort of a territory which is um, kind of rarefied air he he might well be actually when it comes to the old guard moving on you know the old guard who served Bielsa really well he might be the last of them I think he might be the one that outlasts everybody else he, he has that about him well he's part of that core leadership group isn't he that sets the tone within the the playing group at Leeds, you know, Liam Cooper being another one. I think Pablo was was in there as well when, when he was at the club. I mean, for sure as well. For sure, yeah. yeah. So, so all those that are just knocking around 30, just over 30, kind of, they're, they're, the, they're central to this. So how important is that group then to Leeds and, and what role does Dallas play in it? Well, it's made the dressing room very easy to manage and he plays a particularly prominent role. Cooper, kind of more than anybody because he's club captain and he's been Bielsa's captain from the start. But when you... When you have situations like the wage deferral um, during COVID, that is the the group of players that Leeds will invite to Ellen Road or will go to Thorpe Arch and see, you know, Kinnear or Otter or whoever else, speak to them. And, and 
basically get the ducks in a row so that everybody's agreed and everybody's happy. And then those players can go back to the dressing room and transmit the message. And because those players are well respected, it's not difficult to do. You know, it was similar with the the COVID vaccine. One of the reasons that Leeds are really well vaccinated in their squad is because a lot of the senior players went first. And they, they were encouraged to take the vaccine by Rob Price, the head of medicine and performance, because Rob had done a huge amount of research into COVID. You know, I'd looked at it closely and, and his view was that it was this was the sensible thing to do. And, and you know, there's no need for us to get into the, the whole kind of anti-vax discussion here, but that was, the, that was kind of the message. So the senior players went first and because the senior players went first, you, you kind of leadership group, it meant that others were happy to follow. You know, the younger core in the dressing room were looking at that and, and it was it was setting an example. It helps that somebody like Cooper is so solid in terms of the captaincy under Bielsa. You know, there's never never any challenge there. There's never any wavering from Bielsa to suggest that he, he has any concern about that or he, he thinks it should it should belong to somebody else. But also because Bielsa does not man manage in the way that a lot of coaches do, you know, he doesn't have close relationships with the players. He doesn't have personal relationships with the players he keeps a distance from them. You do need a dressing room that, that runs itself to an extent. And they've been able to do that precisely because they have players like Cooper and Dallas and, and also, you know, Forshaw, who's been injured for a long time, but is still a good, steady, level-headed presence. They know the drill. They know what's going on. They're, they're, as I say, they're, they're good at setting an example. Crystal ball time then. We're looking towards next season and the future. That seems to be the, the talk that's surrounding Bielsa this week um, in the wake of the Everton game. Where does Stuart Dallas fit in the picture next season? Right back, I think. I don't know, just the way Ailing's been going this season, I can kind of see that Dallas might end up slotting in there. And I think probably it is actually now his most natural position. With He's done well at left back, but he's he's obviously on the wrong side. So I, I can see him slotting in there longer it, term. It's an interesting call that, particularly if the Cody Drammy departure leads to, to Drammy sort of drifting away longer term. It's hard to tell. And again, that... That's kind of wrapped up in what happens with Bielsa this summer because something tells me that if Bielsa stays, Drammy's probably not going to be massively involved. If he goes, then perhaps somebody will take a different look, although somebody might look at him and decide that he's not right for them anyway. The reason that that's so difficult to answer is because we don't know what's coming and we don't know who the next coach will be. We don't know um, if it's going to be Bielsa, if he'll be replaced, if he is replaced. A vague idea of you know the kind of people they would look at and what they would want. So I don't think they would want the style of the team to deviate a lot. I mean, you, 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 if you've read the Bielsa piece this week, and this was in the Telegraph last week as well, the link to um, Jesse Marsh, who was at Salzburg, um, actually signed um, Aronson for Salzburg, and at, at Leipzig, you know, he is somebody that, that Leeds would, would admire and, and would like, in amongst various other options as well. But at Salzburg, it was very high press. It was p- possession-based. It means that you don't need, you know, that sort of appointment. You don't need a massive gear change in order to go from one regime to the next and they don't want a massive gear change at all but that still leaves the question of what would somebody different want to do with these individual players and actually I mean I I don't look through the team at Leeds and think there are a lot of players here who need to go I think there are players who need to come in I think that's the difference I don't think I don't think it actually be healthy or helpful to completely gut this squad at all but sign some more players (laughs) <laughs> It'll never catch on. It'll never catch on. No, um, and and not just say more players enhance the, the performance, enhance yeah. the ability. Um, it does because that's to, how that's how you go forward. It feels like we've got the foundations, but they now need to build on them, doesn't it? And yeah. and I just think that, like, as you said earlier, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of the the twenty threes contribution next season. Yeah, you don't see that many of them making like a having you know twenty games or thirty games in the Premier League. Do you? it just doesn't seem like 
we're in a position to do that to, to blood a, a bunch of youngsters. It, do, it needs to increase the quality. And I was just actually going to ask, do you think Bielsa's contract situation is now becoming a hindrance as we've struggled more this season? It's, it doesn't matter so much when you're, when you're ninth and things are, are going well, but when things are not so good, it suddenly comes into sharper relief, doesn't it? No, because I think either way, when he's on a short-term deal, you have to be prepared for the day when it all ends. And as unrealistic as it seemed for him to go after promotion or to go after a good season in the Premier League, you, you can never say for sure because you you know what he's like and, and you know how complex and, and complicated the negotiations can be. It's really come round to the point now where they have to decide in the summer, do we go again with this? Do we go again with this? And how, if we do, how do we do it in a way that is, is going to, basically prevent this season from being replicated, i.e. another sort of battle at the bottom of the table. How is it going to return to last season when they were really competitive? And I think if you're watching Aronson playing like he did for Salzburg against Bayern Munich and giving him, I guess, the benefit of the doubt in saying that must be how he plays pretty regularly for Salzburg, which is very, very well, then I feel like you are targeting the right players. And, And if he's coming from a club who press, high press, you know, really strong pressing game, like possession, like to get on the ball, then he's a good fit. And I think, again, it, it kind of vindicates to an extent the theory of it and the idea of it. The problem is that he isn't here. Get the bloody execution done. That's what we need. <laughs> well, he, you know, that that's it. You need players like that to come in through the door. But I can't help feeling that you add a number of players like that to this team and it elevates everything. Surely it does. And th- there is a question, I guess, about people inside Leeds United. Can they tell Bielsa what to do? You need to change, Marcelo. <laughs> No. Well, well, no, they could tell him what to do, but it would be counterproductive, as weird as that sounds, because that's never been how it is. Um, I was on the, the Athletics podcast earlier this week and um, I was on with Adam Crafton, who was saying, you know, very reasonably, why didn't the club just sign a midfielder and say, look, you're having this guy, Van Der Beek, Harry Winks, whoever else, he's there. If you want to use him, we think that you need him. We think that you need the extra resource. You don't want it, but here it is. And the answer to that is because what you're starting to say to Bielsa is, we're losing faith a bit here. Do you know what? We we don't actually think that you're the way you're seeing this is right. And I honestly think that is a, a slippery slope that you fall down pretty quickly. And, and I mean, at, at this stage, I guess what is the point? He's not going to change training methods. He's not going to change tactically because it's been there for, for ages and ages. I do feel like the best way out of the back end of this season is to stick with it, to go with it, to trust that it will click often enough to keep leads, keep leads clear. I mean, put it this way, what would be the chance of another manager coming in at short notice being able to grab hold of this squad and do vastly different things with it? I just don't see it. I don't so see Michael it. said actually on our show earlier this week, yeah, is, is it a problem then when you concentrate so much power in the hands of, of one man? And and I asked that question with an eye on the 49ers who, you know, you know what the backroom teams, the back office teams, sorry, are like, uh, like American football teams. Like it's, you got a lot of people, you got general managers and this manager and transfer managers and data managers. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of managers. Well, Leeds don't not have that. You know, they do have big teams of analysts and recruitment staff and, and everything, but it's like this massive pyramid that leads to the, the point at the top, which is Bielsa. And I would almost include the board underneath that because, you know, he he is essentially in charge of everything that he looks after, you know, and people don't interfere and people don't really tell him no. I guess everything can become a problem, can't it? And I, I say this all the time, but it's a bit ridiculous to question 
given him that level of autonomy when it worked in the championship and it kept them up for a season and might potentially keep them up for two. I think what's always fair is to say that what worked previously isn't necessarily working now. And I think more and more I look at this season and think that for all the principles are great and, and everything else, if things aren't working, surely there comes a point at which, you know, you, you try to address it and you try to change it or you try to make little tweaks that just make your life a little bit easier. Small things play Adam Forshaw at Everton <laughs> because he's the he's the defensive mid. And it is small things, spend twenty million on a midfielder. It it is really reductive. You know, you I'm I'm making coaching and planning and, and you know, tactical outlook sound really simple, which it just isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all really, really complicated and it's such a, a difficult job. But I don't think you can get tied up in, in sentiment. One of the things I was saying in that piece on Bielsa's future was that the fact that staying up this season would bookend his period in charge almost perfectly, really. You know, it, nobody surely thought that at the end of year four or year two in the Premier League, Leeds were going to get into the Europa League or whatever else. You know, it would have been asking too much with this squad and, and you know, the, the way things are. But just because it would bookend it nicely doesn't mean that you make a change. That's not a reason to get rid of a manager. Um, but equally, you know, the fact that they have stayed up and, and he's done that again isn't a reason not to make a change. You have to, you have to base it on substance and it has to be based on where you think this is going and what you think the problems have been this season. Is there another club in the country that operates in the way we do with a Bielsa figure essentially deciding everything? It's what Wenger did at Arsenal, wasn't it? Wenger had a lot of authority and a lot of autonomy um, at Arsenal and there is absolutely no doubt at Arsenal that it went on too long with Wenger. But with hindsight, I don't really blame him for that. Um, And I think what was sad about that was that he... You know, he he was criticised and, and kind of maligned in a way, which has meant that he's never really wanted to go back there. You know, you've got this manager who did so much for them, who doesn't apparently doesn't seem that comfortable being around around the Emirates. But because Arsenal have been so bang average since, you kind of say, well, it can't really all have been about Wenger, was it? You know, there was kind of kind of bigger uh, bigger picture. But I, you know, I, I sincerely doubt that if you go to Liverpool or Manchester City as examples. Guardiola and Klopp will have massive, massive autonomy there. They, they will have control over a huge number of things. But I suspect that the, the, there's far more interaction um, with other people at a high level. Um, I suspect there's far more give and take when it comes to, you know, what can be done, what can't be done, what needs to change. Um, so I think the answer to that is no. I think as, when it comes to head coaches, certainly in the Premier League, but probably football-wide, there are very, very few who are as kind of untouchable as, as Bielsa. Are you saying Jurgen Klopp isn't at the training ground wanting paths diverted and branches chopped off and that sort I, of... I suspect probably not. Although, don't don't get it into your head that they won't be demanding in their own way. Don't get it into your head that from time to time they probably aren't incredibly unreasonable because, I mean, it's just that really high-pressured environment, isn't it? And I don't know, I mean, Guardiola has been right at the very top for such a long time and still somehow has the stamina for it. And I don't know... It, Party wonders how it is that you don't reach a day. I suppose everybody does eventually, but you don't reach a day where you think, I've won so much and I've been competing for so much that I I don't feel like I need to live under this pressure anymore. Why do I, why do I want this? But the reason is because they love it deep down and they don't know what they do without it. You've got, you've got years left in your fill. I know you, I know you were talking about yourself there. <laughs> it is, I mean, football is addictive, isn't it? And it must be yeah. the same for coaches as it, as it is for fans. Just returning to the point on Europe, actually, something that I was just thinking about when you were talking about that is that Maybe it might have been helpful had the owner not started to frame Legion United's goal as Europe so soon because that now appears to have backfired a little bit because we've struggled this season. I don't think Randrazani 
if I'm being totally fair to him, ever said that Leeds would be in Europe after two years. No, but, or, no, but, if, you, that, if, you, but, but if you bring it up in conversation when yeah, you're doing interviews, no, I, that, that's, that's, people, absolutely. people distill it, them and simplify them. It was all the talk about the three to five year plan, um, you know, of, of following the Leicester model of selling high value assets when it's right to sell and reinvesting, reinvesting well and ultimately becoming a, a better team. It sounded far more realistic last season when it was going fine. You're not hearing much of that said now, as we said. I mean, when did you last see Radrazani interviewed? When did you last hear him talk particularly about European football? Maybe it was more recent than, I, than I'm thinking, but it becomes incredibly out of context um, when you're, you're 15th. So no, perhaps that hasn't helped, but then you don't really have the luxury to never be ambitious with a club like this, do you? And you do have to make sort of ambitious projections. I think the balance of that is really difficult to, to strike, but... I find myself thinking this season, what's it going to be like for people if there are actually three or four or five more years of this ahead, you know, of finishing Cheers, 12th? But, but answer me that though, because finishing 9th or finishing 12th or finishing 14th or finishing 13th and then 11th and, you know, that that kind of buffer period that clubs quite often go through where they're sort of establishing themselves, but actually the leap forward is quite difficult to make and fill. I think if we look at the team in, let's say, September, October, and we get a good feeling for where it's going, even if there are inconsistencies in performance. And that is what happens when you're in mid-table. It's not just about drawing every week, is mm-hmm. it? It's about some weeks you're great, some weeks you're not so good. If I think there's a feeling of security within the fan base every autumn, let's say, like, this season will be all right. We're not going to get dragged into this. We're, we're too good, if you like. It's an awful phrase, but we're too good to get dragged into this because we've got enough about us that we look fairly settled and comfortable in mid-table. Then... I think that will... A couple of boring seasons, I think, is is probably what's in order after this season. I think actually, in a roundabout way, the struggle this season might have bought them a little bit more time in that regard. It probably has. And that might not be a bad thing, provided that from here it all starts to pick up again. I just sort of wonder what the reaction would be if in Radrazani's next interview he said, well, what we're aiming for is a couple of boring seasons. Um, <laughs> to take us take us forward. It, what, I'm being a bit facetious, but what, what I mean is it's, it's risky to sell a vision for the club particularly in a league like this because it's actually really difficult to deliver on it's not as if there's nobody going for the Europa League and other clubs aren't thinking the same but at the same time people do want to see that that in your head you have some idea of where you want to go and that that is more than just kind of floating around in mid-table I actually don't think that when it comes to stability there would be anything wrong for Leeds floating around in mid-table for a a few seasons probably wouldn't be that exciting I think mid-table as well would be all right, if we if we maybe tackled the controversial issue of getting beyond like the early rounds of a cup competition as well, like an FA Cup it's win, a fair point, that, an yeah. FA Cup win and finishing thirteenth would I think be fine for people. It's just the the grinding third round exit that we have to endure every year makes you kind of know, go even, well, even run into the semi finals or something like that. You know, <laughs> when it kind of feels like it's it's right there. Yeah, just give us something like when it gets round to the clocks changing. That'd be f- absolutely fine. Hey, listen, we've we've um, we've gone off Stuart Dallas here and ended up talking about Bielsa in the future again because there's been a lot of uh, soul searching this week. So let's finish this section by saying that if Bielsa does go, Stuart Dallas will play manager next season. Yeah, go on. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, just for something totally off piste. Well, Man United and Liverpool then this week. <laughs> at, the, at the top of the notes you've written Jesus Christ and his name be praised I'm just, I'm just googling if hibernation's possible for, for a human just going to go out of the way for a week or so I'm sure it won't be as bad as we feared 
but then it might be, you know. <laughs> there is that realistic possibility. I mean, the thing is, this is why we got back to the Premier League, for games like this. Definitely, definitely. I find this actually really difficult to call and to read on Sunday because they are not a good team. And I say that knowing fine well that they might end up looking like a good team because Leeds have had a, a pretty bad habit of bringing that out of them. But they don't have much of an identity. They don't seem like a happy camp at all. It doesn't feel as if Rannick coming in for Solskjaer has improved the mood. I think all that stuff that was said about Solskjaer, okay, he didn't do this and he didn't do that, but he did leave a better squad behind. I think it's highly, highly questionable when you look at the way it's still going. It's the, still the most expensive football squad ever assembled, yeah, it, Phil. Yeah, it is. Um, I but, think that they've got good players, but they're not necessarily a good team. And it's the good players aspect that probably gives me greatest cause for concern. But you know, if you go to the States and you go, I mean, I've never been, but I'm just guessing here, and you go to like Beverly Hills or Hollywood and you, you find houses where people have spent a fortune on it and they put all sorts of weird and wonderful gold and diamond stuff all over it. It looks terrible. You think, why don't you just go to Yorkshire and buy a you know, beautiful like country house? That's the, you know, that that's what you're, what you're after. Which is to say that spending money is not really a virtue. Um, spending it wisely is, is what you need to do. They'll probably finish fourth, I think, but they feel to me to be a, a long, long way behind Manchester City and, and Liverpool at the moment, both when it comes to the, the way the teams are built and, and how much understanding they've got, but also just in the, the entire project and everything else. It just doesn't seem to be there. The concern is that Leeds have not... They they had that 0-0 draw with Manchester United last season at Ellen Road, which was a bit of a non-event. They did not cope well against them at Old Trafford uh, this season or last season. But I think more to the point, they've also looked very, very vulnerable against teams at that level, particularly City away, but also Liverpool at home. You know, that was a really easy 3-0 win for Liverpool. And it was, you know, there were only short periods in that game where the, the tide looked like turning. And that makes me worry that this could develop into another one of those of those matches. The difference being that there is actually a home crowd this time, and that has got to be a factor. I mean, I fear if we if we concede the midfield in the same way we did against Everton, then we are in trouble because you know as much as we might not like them and they might not be functioning, you're talking you know Pogba, Fernandez, players like that. Even McTominay looked like you know prime 1970s Brazil against Leeds, doesn't he? Because we give so much space in the midfield. Surely they've got to do something, something in there to counter that this time. If, if we haven't learned from the experiences of playing them over the last two seasons, getting absolutely pumped twice at Old Trafford because we gave them the midfield, allowed them to pull us out of shape and then they just ran into that big cavernous space that we left behind. And then look at the nil-nil when it was a lot more compact and we had a, a better... And deliberately midfield. so as well. Yeah. That was the interesting thing about it. It was worked. It, 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 you felt as if... Bielsa had actually said to himself, do you know what? I'm going to change it today. I'm going to do, I'm not going to be as open and I'm not going to be as aggressive. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep it tight. Why did and he vacate that position, Phil, though? Because everyone said this, like everyone gained so much hope at the end of last season by seeing this evolution and thought it might be a little bit more boring, but it's getting us results in some of the games that matter. And maybe we can be more expansive against teams that it's right to be expansive against, you know, just, just box a little bit cleverer. Yeah. As you know, to go back to it, in, in playing for sure at Everton, you know, pick your defend your most suitable defensive midfielder and and use him in that role. Although, you know, square pegs and round holes or players out of position is something we've been looking at for for ages and ages. I think there was a shift towards the end of last season. Although part of me wondered whether actually the players themselves were were starting to regulate their own performances and to say, you know, let's not be ridiculous when we're in a winning position. It was helped as well last season by Urenti returning towards the end of it and and looking particularly good. But 
defensively, they, they are shipping far too many goals. And that was one of the points I was making after the Villa game was that, you know, again, massive focus on what's going on up front and how Leeds are attacking. But they are conceding so many that it's asking a huge amount of whoever is playing up front to get anything out of games where you're conceding three goals. And it seems to me that on Sunday it would make sense to be a bit, not negative, but to be a bit cautious and to accept that on occasions against Man United where they've tried to go punch for punch and go toe-to-toe, they've been absolutely annihilated and that will just not be good for anybody on Sunday. I think this is the worst weekend where that could happen. Um, This is a weekend that could do the club a hell of a lot of good, but it could also do them a lot of damage as well. Which will it be though? That's the question. It's, it's hard to call, isn't it? Genuinely, you're like, you, you keep willing them. Because a lot of what we say, like the, the stuff that we're saying about Bielsa and, and tactical nous and, you know, should have played for sure. We have to accept that we're saying it with the benefit of hindsight. Yes. That, that's one thing we have to qualify it with. But we're sat here ahead of this fixture saying, if they do this, they give themselves a better chance of coming out of it with a better result. And you just hope that that, is put into practice, don't you, surely? I think also to say that it has worked for Bielsa in the past, playing players that 90% of the crowd would not have picked. You know, you, you've got no goalkeepers in season one. Do you want an emergency keeper? No, I'm going to play Will Huffer. Will Huffer's never played for the first team. Doesn't matter, he's trained with us. In he goes and they beat Bristol City 2-0. You know, and you can think of other situations where Dallas has moved to centre of midfield and, and he's been great and, and has, has held that position quite comfortably. But yeah, to look at Everton, it felt like a risk too far in a game that you didn't really want to lose on the basis of making a a tactical error like that. I think again this weekend, you know, it'll be a similar sort of injury list. Fuppo will be be on the way back, um, but obviously Dallas will will be added to that. Forsha has to start for me, I'm pretty sure he will, um, particularly after Bielsa admitting that 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 was a mistake last weekend. Who makes way? Well, the, the system will be different, won't it? Because it'll be four at the back, most likely. Uh, so I would have thought Forshaw in front of the defence and then probably Cleek and Rodrigo um, in front of him. So Cock. Dallas will obviously come out of the team. I don't know whether he'll maybe move strike over to left back and pull Koch back into um, into centre back. There'll be a bit of jiggling around to do. But I think that mid- midfield three of Cleek, Forshaw and Rodrigo seems to me to be the way to go. Personally, yeah. And Dan James up front, you might fancy a little sniff against his old team. I think it will be James up front. Yeah, I think it. I think it probably will be. Again, I think. I think if it's not Gelhart, you would like to see Gelhart have a much bigger role on Sunday, particularly if the game's kind of there to be won, or if it's if it's in the balance. That's because again, you know, if if we're looking at where Manchester United are weak defensively, they're not great. You know, people like Maguire don't cope particularly well with pace, and it's not that Gelhart's lightning, but he's quick enough, and obviously out wide, you. James, Rafinha, um, Harrison, and perhaps that is why James might be a good call actually this weekend because his pace might might cause a problem there. But they are definitely, definitely there to, to be got at. People at The Athletic who watch them regularly say that they struggle to put together 90-minute performances. You know, they can be good in one half, disappear in, in another half. And a little bit like Leeds, it feels like everybody there is just wanting to get to the end of the season and wanting to be able to say, yeah, we finished fourth, but even better than that, it's May. Um, you know, we can all go off for the summer and the same at Leeds where you want to be able to say we stayed up, but you know what, the season's over so we can just pack it away. But I've never been to a Leeds Man United game at Ellen Road with a oh, crowd. I have. And I, cannot, I cannot wait. Well, let me bounce your question because you spoke to me and Andy Mitten that you mentioned um, earlier on and you asked us what do you think the atmosphere will be like. So let me bounce that question back to, to both of you then. What are you expecting from it, Phil? Well, why doesn't Michael get into this one first? 
poison is what I'm <laughs> expecting. It's always how it was. And I think the the gap will have done nothing to uh, lay old demons to rest. I think it'll be um it'll be it'll be good insofar as it'll be incredibly loud, I think. There'll also be the inevitable they'll sing something about Galatasaray, we'll sing something about Munich. There'll be that side of it which you'll have to be kind of dealt with in the aftermath. It's that's entirely predictable. I'd be amazed if that didn't happen, to be honest. Um, particularly sort of the bit of the South stand by the by the away fans and stuff. There'll be some goading going both ways on that. It'll be interesting to see how the atmosphere develops. That's what it'll be like at the start. Depending on what happens during the game, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops. I'm, I mean, my memories of playing Man United as well, they used to get the full South stand and I used to despise it because they, they used to fill a full end and it was awful because they generally beat us yeah. and you had to sit and watch them celebrate for for the majority of the game well actually I, I tell a lie I was there for the League Cup game in 2011 I think it was when they did have the whole of the South South stand but but obviously this is the first time it's been head to head in a, a league game where you, you sort of technically speaking on a on a par with each other with a crowd one of the things Andy Mitten was talking about with us towards the end was of Man United players going to Ellen Road and it wasn't much of a surprise to hear him say that Keane Neville gigs, schools and so on, you still love it. Like you still love going to Ellen Road. And he was telling the story about Andy Cole getting off the coach. You know, it's saying <laughs> people are just on your case straight away. Because Andy made a good point, which is that at a lot of stadiums now, you can drive a squad into I mean a lot of stadiums have like underground car parks so and you can drive a squad into the stadium without mm. anybody even seeing them. The footballers you know, stay in the football bubble, don't yeah, they? they? Do. Whereas at Ellen Road. Now that'll be different on Sunday because there's the red zone and everything else. But it doesn't stop the coach having to get to the ground first and everything else. And Andy was quite honest in saying that this group of Man United players have loads of technical ability, but it would be hard to say that they have the the kind of mental character of some of the teams that Ferguson used to bring to Ellen Road and those teams that used to turn up and, and perform. And Andy's sort of take on it was that he's looking forward to seeing some of these players, you know, getting it stuck up them at the, the cop end and, and everything else. Because that's how it is and that's how it goes and he, and he wants to see how they how they cope with that. I do think that is a potentially big weapon for Leeds and I do hope that they, they try and feed on it. I think actually there's a lesson to be had from what Everton did last weekend, which is that if you engage the crowd, you do give yourself a bit of a head start. I thought you were going to say we had to appoint Frank Lampard then. No, I mean, it's <laughs> it's not quite reached that level yet, has it? <laughs> um, no. Um, but yeah, just um, to an extent, without losing it, play the occasion but you want you, we often crumble under the occasion don't we like we did at Old Trafford but it'll be interesting it's different because it's our occasion isn't it yeah yeah very much so and um, just a quick word on Liverpool if we can then which is the midweek fixture again there might be a little sniff of something in this for us in the sense that they've got you um, think uh, they've, well they've got the League Cup final following that haven't they like towards the um, towards the back end of next week so maybe there's half an eye on that I mean they've got tremendous resources and they're a tremendous team but I'm just saying if we can find something somewhere where we can we can pull a thread of hope. It's it's around that, isn't it? Tottenham, I think, is a game Leeds should be targeting because they they're not making particularly great progress on the Conte at all. And I definitely don't think anybody should be looking at that and saying, "Oh, it's Tottenham and we're out of form." And and so there's there's nothing in it. Tottenham, you know, are, not that, in, Tottenham are not in form. No, that's really. what I, that's what I mean. You know that I I actually think Sunday and Spurs next Saturday are games that you could find that Leeds get something out of. They're equally games that it could go completely wrong. But Liverpool in between at Anfield, I can't see it. You can't, no, I can't imagine it either. But you know, let's let, let's say let's cling to at least some vague sense of hope. Why not? Just um, just to wrap up then on the injuries, how close are we to seeing some of the players back? Because there have been some internet rumours of Phillips um, aggravating his injury this week. Do we know if there's any truth in that? 
I haven't heard any more about Phillips. We'll see Bielsa tomorrow. Um, both he and Cooper were being talked about for early March um, and we're not too far off early March. Furpo was due to be back in the mix this week um, so I would expect to be in the squad um, for the Man United game unless Bielsa is going to put him through a 23s game first and is Bamford back on his feet because we saw that there was a photo on Twitter of him getting fitted for what looked like orthotics that go in your shoes the, you know? they're treating him and, and the, do you remember what they had with um, Rodrigo and Stroik where Bielsa was saying they've got these injuries that there's no kind of time frame on them because they will just heal like at some point they will just stop causing pain and when they do they'll be able to train and that's the point where they've been trying to get Bamford to. I think Bamford is getting there, but I think I've been saying that Bamford's been getting there since about September. So we'll we'll see. And you can't forget that when Bielsa was asked about him, it was around about the West Ham games, he was making the point that in his head, Bamford is going to need a, a quite a bit of conditioning work because he has been out for a long, long time. Just start pre-season now. <laughs> <laughs> that that massive, massively English thing of a mini pre-season... Is it even worth asking for predictions for the weekend? Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's even a question worth asking because I don't know how it's going to go. No, I don't my, think I'd be able to give you one. I, I, all, all, my, all my optimism has evaporated, but, you know. I'm definitely not looking at it and thinking, oh, it's an away win in the way that I'm thinking Wednesday, um, that I'm thinking Liverpool is a home win. You know, I, I definitely think Liverpool will win that. People I'm, rely I'm, on you for a ridiculous optimistic prediction, Dan. I mean, my optimism, when did that evaporate? But, but I am trying to cling on to hope. I don't expect anything out of this next couple of games. There is, there is always hope and and the, this hope is the reason why we go to football, isn't it? If there was no hope, we wouldn't be going there on Sunday. I think the big difference on Sunday is that because the crowd is there and because it's the first league game at Ellen Road between the clubs with a crowd for nigh on 20 years, I mean, there will be quite a few people in the stands, me included, who've never had that experience before. You know, I've never... I, mean, I, was, I was looking back at the, the ages of the squads. Like, Gilhart was one year old last time... Man United came to Ellen Road for a league game. Um, Nick Bow in the Man United squad was about two months old, something like that. You know, that is that long, that long ago. And if if the occasion works for Leeds, then it could make a big difference. So I don't think in any way Sunday should be without optimism. But you know, bottom line, they are going to have to play far better than they did at Everton, and they're also going to have to play far better than they did against Manchester United in August. Well, fingers crossed. At the Phil Hay Show, if you want to say hi on Twitter. And you can take up that offer at the minute. Uh, it's £1 a month for six months on The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod for that. And we'll speak to you next time. The Phil Hay Show.